Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 194, Alta Magazine. Today, we discuss three articles from Alta Magazine, a publication based in California that focuses on news, history, literature, and culture with a decidedly Western bent. Its founder, William Randolph Hearst III, declares it to be a literate magazine that serves as a counterpoint to the New Yorker. We'll talk about three articles that appear in the online edition of Alta, The Accident on the Pacific Crest Trail by Louise Farr, all about the tragic death of a young hiker, When the Mafia Came to Lodi by Andrew Dubbins, about the mafia's attempt to infiltrate California and the undercover case that took them down, and The Search of a Lifetime by Julian Smith, all about a woman investigating the cold case of her grandfather's murder. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Yo, guys. Hey! Nice to see you guys. I can see your faces. Finally, you're not wearing your masks. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the show, <laughs> we've been wearing our masks. So we are uh, we are one day into the new mandate that we are now allowed to leave our houses maskless. Yeah, but see, California is still like I'm so curious when. I mean, like at least LA, like that's what, that was the big discussion today between my wife and I was like, well, when is California going to change anything or LA going right. to change anything? Yeah. So like we had to go shopping today and went out and we're both just still wearing masks. Like, yeah, mm. it's not, not, nothing's actually changed yet. So I went to Home Depot last night cause I'm now the kind of guy who just goes to Home Depot just all the time. <laughs> just always there. Just getting nuts, um, bolts, things of that nature. And, uh, they'd already taken off their sign. For masks wow. required inside the building. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're out there in the desert. I imagine there's more of a, a libertarian bent going on. Well, yeah. no, it's not so much a libertarian. It's Home Depot. Yeah, it's not so much libertarian as it is a billionaire industrialist who ruined the world kind of bent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I was like, so I can walk around in here without my mask on? I was like, huh? Did you do it? I did. I did. And were you like... Oh, freedom. The no, air breezing around your lips. No, because I haven't been leaving my fucking house anyway. So it's like, <laughs> I only wear my mask literally when I go to the grocery store because I don't leave the fucking house. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it, it was weird. I'll, I will say that. Um, but I'm ready, man. Although, so, okay. Let me tell you what I'm upset about. Can I tell you guys what I'm upset about? You're Please. gonna. <laughs> so the light at the end of my tunnel. For this entire fucking pandemic was Jason Isbell and Lucinda Williams in concert at the Santa Barbara Bowl on July 25th. I've mm-hmm. had the tickets for two years. <laughs> uh, yesterday, the mask mandate disappears. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be singing. I'm going to be shouting into the sky. Jason will probably see me. Probably pull me up onto the stage. We'll he'll be probably like dancer in the dark. Yes, <laughs> like he'll, he'll be Courtney Cox. And... He'll sing "Cover Me Up" to me. It'll be awkward because oh his wife will be there. <laughs> Whatever, and I don't wear boots, so I'm not gonna leave him by the bed. Oh god! All this is happening in my mind. I'm like, oh my god, it's like the dark days are over. And then about nine minutes ago, they canceled the show. 
Oh my god. Why? I have no idea. They canceled the Santa Barbara show and the LA show. That sucks. Sorry. (sighs) So I'm staying in. I'm yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the episode. end of the light at the end of our tunnel. I mean, it's it's still you know because kids can't get vaccinated, it's still gonna be a pretty mask you know a mask centric situation for us going out. Um, I don't know, or maybe like Alex and I won't wear masks and we'll just make Indy wear a mask. That feels kind of weird. I don't know, but you know, I still don't want him to get it, even though right. I know kids are uh, you know not as big of a deal and less likely to transmit it, but still. Yeah. I, I thought I saw, however, a photo of a child of yours at the Magic Kingdom this week. Is that correct? That is correct. We did, we did the Disney. What was that like? Uh, it, you know, I'm I'm an asshole. Like I'm just not. <laughs> like it was so. Funny Ten years of shows, and finally, <laughs> finally, Alex, he comes to the conclusion. Yeah, you know, like, it was so funny because. Just just last night, Alex, we were talking about it. She was like, "Did you have fun?" And I was like, oh. ah. "And I was like, you know, I did. It's just it's kind of hard for me to get out of my head." And she's like, "Yeah, you, you kind of looked angry the whole time." <laughs> and I was like, "You know," and I asked her, "I was like, did you ever read a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again?" And she was like, "I actually don't think I have." Um, and that's like the I just think I'm when it comes to like corporate like theme experiences i'm just kind of in my head a lot i'm i get uncomfortable with the consumerism i get i'm just like a grumpy asshole like i don't know uh so like as much as like i avoided disney until now and uh, you know you'd never gone no i've gone mr annual pass over here is gonna freak out No, no, no. I, I mean, look, I grew up working for Disney. I used to go. Yeah. Well, see, right. I used to go when they would do employee only, like right. during the holidays. They shut down at night for employees. Um, and then, oh, right, because ABC to... was owned by Disney back then. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, and so we would, and and we were a Touchstone Television show, so we were double double dipping as far as Disney. And so, yeah, they, I mean, they would fly me out to Florida to do Disney World. I was there for the Disney World 25th and ever, like I was steeped in it, and always in like a the the best possible way, in the sense that like they would give me somebody to like walk me to the front of the lines and all that. So like I definitely like had a great Disney experience. I just get uncomfortable with the, the crowds. I, you know, and, and maybe this is a holdover from the fact that like, you know, I used to get recognized all the time by groups of mm-hmm. kids. So I still kind of have tension. Obviously now we're wearing masks. So that wasn't an issue, uh, but no, it was fun. It was fun. And my kid loved it. Like, of course he did. It was super fun to just go on rides and uh, they're capping it at 25% right now. So oh, there wow. was no, no line over 30 35 minutes. The new Star Wars area is cool. I mean, it's just, you know, the the, the thing that Disney does better than anybody is is atmosphere, right? right. Like set, de- set decoration, really. Mm-hmm. And man, the Star Wars world, you just feel like you're walking down a street in Tatooine. It's so weird. It's like, it's just, it's just cool. Um, and then, you know, it's, for me, like taking Indy on Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, those are still the best rides because yes. it's like mm-hmm. you just you come out and like I could tell that after we had done those two rides, I could tell that no matter what else happened for the rest of the day, Indy felt like he had had been to other places. Right. You know? Yes. He had been transported somewhere. And I think that's just that's what, it. Yeah, that's it. Like and it's like that that the fact that you feel like you're outside, even though you're still just in a soundstage mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. the ground like the way that disney is able to like create that atmosphere like that is just the best the, you know and then roller coasters are fun like the big thunder mountain and, and whatnot so it sounds um, like you did have fun but you're unwilling to let yourself have fun 
you know, I just get into my head. Like, I just start yeah. like spinning out this. Like, that's why I'm, you know, and it's not healthy. Like, it's and it's it's just like corporate. You know, like everybody having fun the exact same way. The food is like the food, and like everything's so expensive, and it's just like my kid wants to buy everything, and you're right. supposed to just like indulge the impulse to like provide everything kids want i don't know it's just like and i'm like Ugh. and i and I, there's just this weird feeling too like you know i remember being at disney as a kid and like like hearing about do you guys remember when they created like celebration uh the uh the town, in the town yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and like you know that's just become kind of the norm now like i remember thinking yeah, that I was so weird yeah you live <laughs> in it like, <laughs> And so, like, I have this thing in my head about, like, the sort of Disneyfication of America and of, like, our lives. And I just get, I don't know, like, it's just, it, it gets under my skin. Like, I'm not, and of course, I worked for this corporation for so long. So I was, like, in the belly of the beast. Um, and I was able to see, like, you know, and they're, they're a very nice company. Like, the people that work for them, they've always had, like, their politics have been great of, since, Disney died, the man himself, because he was pretty awful. That old anti-Semite kicked the bucket. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, so it's just, it's just, I don't know. Like, it's, like I said, it's all me. It's all in my head. Um, But you know what, what you said, though, about, like, seeing Indy and recognizing that he felt like he had gone somewhere. Right. When I was a kid and would go to Disneyland, like, it, it presented for me a reality that was not the one that I had, which was important because it might like, you know, I had crazy fucked up parents and stuff and like to go in there and have it be sort of clean and orderly. And you go places and you go underground and it has a happy yeah. ending. Even the haunted mansion has a happy ending. Right. Like <laughs> I found that so cathartic as a child. And every time I go back as an adult, I'm chasing that same feeling. It's not, yeah. it's not unlike the same feeling of, having seen Star Wars for the first time and seeing that giant ship come across the screen and you've never had that experience again until apparently you get to the Star Wars land at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it'd be so cool to to be able to see your child seeing having that experience of going yeah. to another world like that because that's the best part of it. It's not the rides. It's like, it's the gestalt, you know? It's, it's yeah. the everything. Yeah. I mean, I always loved Pirates for that. Like, because you know that you like you've gone underground like three different levels, and then you're still in this vast world. Oh man, I loved it, loved it, <laughs> loved it. What's crazy to me, I I can't tell you how many people at Disneyland, and and maybe this is just because they're like you know right now is they're capping it, so it's it's like the hardcore Disney people, right. Everybody wears Disney shirts to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Which I don't is kind of it. And then like a lot of groups wearing matching Disney shirts. Right. Like you know the Millers visit Disney custom made T-shirts. Like you just see this. Like a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Like everywhere. Yeah. And and that that it's just a certain mentality. Like you know, and I get it. Like it speaks to, it speaks to what you want as a parent, right? Like you want everything to be easy uh comfortable you want your kids to be like wide-eyed and having a good time and like i totally get it um you know i just i just i'm i'm the guy i'd rather take my kid camping i'd rather us have like a night caught out in the rain that maybe is miserable but like the next like we'll remember it for the rest of our lives when like i you know the fact that like my son has the same memory as everybody else about pirates of the caribbean i'm like okay great yeah we did it but i'm not gonna like it's just not like that big of a deal. Did you guys me. get the corn dogs though? 
No. Oh, they have good corn dogs there. What now? <laughs> what I, what what we did get is churros, which uh, apparently like normal churros are no longer a thing. They get chocolate covered churros. Yeah. And then they have like caramel dipping sauce for your yeah, churros. We, I'm like, what? Give me the old fashioned. Give me the old fashioned churro. Yeah. I don't. Like, I don't it's need a hat this. on a hat. Why do we? Why are we? Yeah. Yeah. I don't need artisan churros. <laughs> I want churros that are fucking greasy as shit and just covered in cinnamon. But they have really wow. good corn dogs. You missed out. It's that. It's right at the end of Main Street. You turn to the right where there's the hidden bathroom, and there's the uh, corn dog stand. Wow. Wow, wow. It is crazy, isn't it? Like, Main Street is just like this weird fantasy of an American town. Like, I when love you walk it, yeah. it, I kept. You, <laughs> see, I just kept looking around being like, what are we fantasizing uh, yeah. about? Like, this is Trump's America, right? Like, that's what we're looking for. Like, that's what we're we, we yearning for when we're. And I kept thinking about, like, all the small towns I've driven through, especially like in California, that are like ghost towns now, that basically were trying to be Main Street, right. downtown Disney. And I'm like, but why, like, why are we paying so much money to like walk, like, create a fake version of that? I don't know. I just, like I said, I just get in my head and I just get weirded out by it. I, I... But, but well, there's... as we all know from the great book Devil in the White City, you know, that's all basically a spinoff of the World's Fair, Chicago right. World's Fair. Mm. So we're still sort of in the fantasy of that World's Fair right. to this right. day. Of 18, cowboy, cowboys eight, are great. Indians, yeah, or whatever it was. Right, yeah. pirates. Pirates are celebrated, even like right. Rapey, you know, like yeah. I love that they had to change all that. Yeah, you used to just be remember them chasing the women and shit. You're just like, you're right. And that's why Indy was like, why is it, why is everything on fire? I'm like, because pirates are awful. <laughs> they're burning this town. That's what we're watching. Like, like they're singing songs and they're drunk, but they're killing and raping everybody. And, and meanwhile, Alex Yeehaw. is just like Jesus Christ, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's why she's like, just just, just tell them that's how they cook the meat. Yeah, it's a complete. It requires a complete suspension of disbelief. And I think, you know, right. for you guys, it's so different because you live so close to it. Like where I live, going to Disney is so far away that it's the biggest deal ever. And you probably go like once or twice unless you are a Disney person. And that Greg and I talk about this all the time. If you're a real hardcore Disney person, you go like every year, but it's so expensive right. that that's the only place you go. Like you don't travel internationally. Like Greg has a lot of friends at work who are real Disney people. And they're like, you went to the Galapagos? How? And Greg's like, well, I don't go to Disney every year. Yeah. Well, because if you have like two kids and yeah. you're from it's Disney a, World, it's a grand. that's like a... Yeah, just that, to walk oh, in the door. Are you just to walk in the door? Yeah. If you're going to Disney World from anywhere else, you're paying for hotels, you're paying for flights. You're talking like five or six grand for like a family of vacation. And to me, it's like yeah, it is kind of bananas because you could get like first class tickets and like a, an amazing yeah. vacation yeah. in Mexico or you know whatever. But like, but you know, it's the safety and security that people want, and it's that like predictability. Uh, you know, and that just, you know, like, I don't really, yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's, 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 it's expanded so much. Like, like, that's why I bring up the David Foster Wallace essay, because like, yes. it's very much the cruise mentality, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, we're not actually traveling. We're not going to see other places. We're going to be as comfortable as possible and to indulge ourselves and to be as American as we can. <laughs> and that's just, that's intense. It is intense. And yeah. I'm right in the middle of you guys. Well, actually I'm much closer to Ryder. I feel the way Ryder feels, but I have the ability to like 100% suspend. I, yeah. I just, I'm like, fuck it. This is fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, fuck it. 
I'm gonna I, yeah, see, I think I think I'll need drugs. To do I'm gonna that. pay. I, I should just be like, I should just you know microdose mushrooms next time I go and. Oh my god, that's a great just idea. Just allow myself to be a three year old and be have like way more. Oh my fun. gosh, you can bring in like like my favorite little edible mints and go to Disneyland now. Oh my totally. god. I, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, that's sure a great idea. Have it delivered to your day. door. I'm oh, sure that's what's becoming oh, I'm gonna, the way to go. For sure, I'll be I'll be high as fuck next yeah. time I go to Disneyland <laughs> on my Kiva Petra mints, the 2.5 wow. me- mega dose or whatever it is. Well, this episode is going great so far. Yeah, <laughs> it's hey, look, it's a uniquely California experience that we're talking about. Okay, because like I've okay, gone to that's Disneyland, a good pivot. I've gone to Disneyland like a hundred times. That is crazy. Yeah, I, go on. It's probably a hundred times. It's probably something like that. Wow. Because I, like, when I was in college, I had friends that worked there, and you could get a discount ticket for, like, 20 bucks. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you just, you know, you just go at, like, 4 o'clock on a Friday and go there until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you grow up in California, you just go there a lot. I mean, not as often as probably Ryder and I went to Marriott's Great America growing up. (laughs) Great America, yeah. By the time I was, like, 12... I was getting dropped off at Great America and just like roaming around. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole different experience. Though. That's, that's like, a whole different that, That's experience. like you're trying to find other packs of girls and trying to avoid getting <laughs> in getting fights, fights of yes. packs of guys. Right. Like, that's all I remember for like whole days. Yeah. Just like it would always be like one a friend's birthday and we'd get dropped off by our parents. Yeah. And, and Great, it was tough. There were like older, drunk teenagers yeah. we dealing with. Great America up. was like a violent babysitter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, you and you'd go, watch? you'd go on the log rides, and you, you're taking your life in your hands on the log rides. So sweet. I hope you guys have watched Class Action. Marvel oh yeah, of course. Yes. Oh yeah, because you guys told me yeah. that's amazing. Did you actually go there ever? Yeah, I remember oh. going there once. I was oh young. Like it shut down right, right as I would have. Well, that documentary is awesome, and it gets to this point, right? Like this tension that I feel like between this, like Disney, because they 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 offer he that guy that crazy con artist guy was sort of offering an alternative view of the amusement park, right? Right. Like he was saying, like actual childhood should be actually dangerous. (laughs) Right, you need risk. Uh, which, you know, the irony there is like, then why do you need an amusement park? Right. <laughs> like, just just give kids a, a, an actual river to go rafting in. Like, just go. Go get, you know, actually hurt. And, and put, them, real and put them near a 17-year-old who doesn't care about them. Yeah. That, you know, but then the alternative view that Disney offered is like, no, everything is safe and right. controlled and you'll never get hurt and everything's wonderful and you don't have to worry as a parent. You don't have to worry as a kid. Like that, you know, they're really different and I feel like, you know, obviously Disney won that yeah. argument. Like nobody's making a I park, might, I, you know. I might need to what? write an essay for Alta Magazine about <laughs> Marriott's Great America, the violent babysitter. <laughs> All right. So explain Alta Magazine to us, Todd. These pieces were your suggestions. They were. And take us down your thought journey. Uh, <laughs> my thought. Well, let me get my vision board up here on the Zoom. <laughs> Um, so Alta Magazine is um, a magazine that is owned by uh, William Randolph Hearst III, I believe it is, uh, and it is a magazine of California. It is a big, glossy, quarterly magazine um, that has a daily online component. And 
it started a few years ago. Uh, I, I really only started to get to know about it when my friend uh, David Eulen started doing um, all of their book criticism. David Eulen is, uh, was the book critic of the LA Times for many years. And actually, I should note, since we're talking about it, he also edited the, the volume of uh, Joan Didion essays that's out now from Library of America. Uh, he did the 60s and 70s, and now it's up to the um, the 80s is the, is the new one. Anyway, um, David is the, the literary and book editor there, and he's hired me in the past to do some book reviews, and also I wrote an essay about the Salton Sea. Um, and I've been interviewed there, and they review my book. So those are my biases, um, all, all up front. Um, but it's a big, glossy magazine that really puts a premium on storytelling, long-form storytelling online, um, and, and also in, in print, um, about things that are uniquely California. So their book coverage is about California. Their, their um, environmental stories are about California. But by and large, they have... Um, so that that's their focus, but that focus ends up being a microcosmic thing for a larger issue. Um, you know, as California goes, often goes many parts of the world. And so I'm fascinated by their regionalism and how, in fact, it ends up being more of a um, uh, applicable story for anyone than just for Californians. Yeah, well, I feel like it's also it's it's also kind of it's very similar to like your project as uh, you know i feel like it's been a big thing for you to help bring literature to the west or yeah. to amplify western voices you know with your program mm -hmm. and so th this magazine sort of falls in line with that in a lot of ways i i love that idea and i i, I it's in crazy to me that we still everything is based in new york yeah. you know like all the publishing houses and everything and the, the, the literature world like the amount of uh you know you just look at the new yorker it's like everybody's from the east coast like in all the major right. writing programs and like it still just has such it's so entrenched over there um well, and it's fascinating get, get movies, you know? well, yeah. right we do get <laughs> we do get the movies but yeah. the i think the thing that is interesting is like you know particularly for literature um you know, like the LA Times book review doesn't exist anymore. On Sundays, they mm -hmm. run maybe three reviews. They used to have a full book. Um, the book reviewing that happens in America, in a large way, is the New York Times and the Washington mm -hmm. Post. To a lesser extent, there's USA Today, where I write because they run a review every single day. But the LA Times is not a player in the literature world until... The book festival comes back. The book festival. And what about San Francisco? San Francisco doesn't really. San Francisco have a... has a little bit in the Chronicle on Sundays, but nothing to the level of the New York it's Times, amazing. and it has no bearing on sales. San Francisco Chronicle. Right. Actually, can right. I tell you guys? I'll tell you guys an interesting personal story. For me, um, in the sales cycle of my new book, um, the biggest week was release week. The second biggest week was when the LA Times reviewed my book. Um, so release week I got, you know, I was in Time Magazine, all kinds of fucking places. So sold a lot of books that week. Second week was the LA Times. The third biggest week of sales for me was when I appeared on a show called Literary Disco. When you think about where people consume literary criticism specifically, or, or just sort of arts and culture, of course a lot of it is podcasts. And, you know, I appeared on, mm -hmm. you know, like 90 podcasts in three months telling the same fucking stories over and over again. Um, but, you know, in the West Coast, if you want to move books, that LA Times review helps. But, 
you know, you've got to find other places. And Alta mm-hmm. has become one of those places because David Ulan, in taking it over, has just increased in the last few months the amount of book reviewing, the amount of book talk. So they also do, um, and this is part of what we read, they do these afternoon conversations um, called Alta Live, where they will talk to people that have been in the magazine. And so for each of these articles that we read this week, and we'll, we'll put links up to all of this on our Facebook page and on our Twitter, um, they ran these articles and then they did a live interview with the person who wrote the article and often with the subject of the article. So they're really integrating arts and culture together in a way that I think is interesting and digestible for um, today's consumer. Um, yeah, so it also is like it's beautiful, like they're big glossy photos and all that shit. You know, it's just it's a it's a real pretty magazine and the and the website's very nice as well. They do they do really nice stuff. So I'm a big fan and I thought it'd be neat um, for this episode to look at these three sort of uh, long form journalism pieces that are, are sort of there's one's true crime two are kind of true crime and and, and one's like true tragedy yeah. <laughs> um um because i don't know where else you find writing like this right now because it's not even quite like the new yorker because it's a little shorter than what the new yorker might do i yeah what's amazing to me is i had never heard of any of these stories yeah uh, and yet they all three are right up my alley as far as subject matter and uh you know what the, the, the stories were incredible. Like I was just like, Oh, these, this happened. How did I not know right. about this or hear about this? And I guess that's part of the issue, right? Yeah. Like that, that California Western stories do not have as much, don't just don't get as much attention. Right. Um, and, so, and even, and even a story as tragic as the person dying on the PCT that happened. And we'll talk about that in a sec, but like that happened in a place you go to a lot, writer up near yeah. Idlewild and a place yeah. that's, 30 minutes from my house, basically, as the crow flies, and I had not heard a single thing about it. Yeah, not I couldn't believe I didn't hear it. I, I mean, I had even made a joke on Twitter when the pandemic hit that, like, now would be a good time to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And, like, immediately got a lot of responses, people being like, no, they're saying not to. They're saying no. And then to read this article, that's when this guy was yeah. hiking the Pacific yeah. Crest Trail. I was like, oh, how did I not hear about this? Yeah. Like. It's crazy to me, but um, well, let's talk yes. about that one first. That's a good one. Well, wait, wait. Yes. I have to, I have to interject here because interject. Thinking about, I just like, I need to push back on the idea that California is some like massive cultural underdog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what about literary underdog? That. Literary, literary underdog. underdog. But okay, maybe, but it's not like stories from california stories of california have not seeped across the nation and the world you know like i get that this is really interesting because i'm definitely going to be like the outsider here like this did feel like reading from a slightly different culture you know i've read hundreds of issues of the new yorker i'm like surrounded by these people but i don't think these stories were things that i was like wow i've never heard anything like this before you know what I mean? I, yeah, well, I mean, I guess, the, I guess for me, bad shit happens the, everywhere. It's and it's usually about the same. Someone disappears, someone dies, someone gets involved with the Bonanno crime family. Uh huh. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Ryder? <laughs> well, I guess I, I I was just thinking about like why I, 
I, I guess I often feel like the, the version of California that gets exported to the rest of the nation or exported to the world doesn't really feel like California to me. It feels like a tiny sliver of like mostly Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you know, you have, you have a sort of Hollywood culture, like filmmaking, gl- glamorous, I guess like sunset strip, West Hollywood, like, and then Beverly Hills, and then you have like a beach culture, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a, a Santa Monica E or San Diego E, like Orange County beach culture. But like that to me doesn't represent all that much of California. It's, that's what you end up seeing in movies or in books about California. Like you don't get that much about like Northern California or the middle of Cal- like Bakersfieldish mm-hmm. or Fresno or like there's so many different parts of California, um, you know, like Lodi, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, or like the, you know, where Todd writes about, like you don't see like movies. I don't know that that doesn't get exported to the same degree. Yeah, I, but I, every I... state can say that. You know what I mean? Like, what would you say? Yeah, but not every state is the sixth largest economy in the world. Okay. Not every state has this kind of population. I mean, we have a huge population, right? Yeah. Like, 50 million so people live here. It's, 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 not, it's not reflective. Like, if you think about, like, the size of New York, right? Or it's, like, how much that, how much they control, like, intellectual literary life right. and, like, what books are good books. Like, that's ridiculous that, like, the same three publishing houses make all the decisions. And it's it's why we've seen so much of the, like, you know, old white men running the publishing industry for 150 years. And it, like, take it's so hard to break out. Whereas, like, in places like California, you, ha- you do have more diversity. You do have more different types of writers. You do have different types of teachers teaching writing. But it's just, it's just not getting as much attention all the time. Um, I don't know. That's... But in I think in the scope of literature, there's always an East Coast bias for for these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So like what other what other um like local magazine do people read all around the country other than the New Yorker? Yeah. So that is that is so interesting. You know, this magazine is coming out at a time that local journalism is dying everywhere. So right. yeah. I think this is a cool model that other states and other regions should bring out. I mean, Connecticut Magazine, God love it. It's just like Connecticut's 50 best dentists. And I'm right. like, okay, I guess I'm going to read about 50 dentists. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, Texas Monthly used to, maybe they still do. Texas Monthly used to always get, you know, the, the Pulitzer Prize for essay writing and remember there was this was years ago we read a bunch of prize-winning essays and half of them had been in texas monthly um Mm -hmm. but you know those big glossy city and state magazines have disappeared in large part because the advertising money has disappeared and the online component they would hide them behind paywalls and no one wanted to go spend nine dollars to go read texas monthly so alta you know, they don't have a paywall online. They just release a lot of stuff slowly. And then they have stuff that's special for um, the online content only, which I think is is probably pretty smart. Um, and maybe they do have a slight... They, they must have a, a slight paywall because I am a subscriber and have to log in. But, you know, there's just tons and tons of content. And we got all of this stuff for free off of off of the website itself. But also just like, you know, they, they do lots of weird writing and they're, they're, they're extraordinarily diverse. They, they also have a book club now, the California Book Club. Um, 
And I think if they were smart, they'd pick Todd Goldberg's The Low Desert for that. If they really wanted to <laughs> make, a, make a statement, I would pick that. Um, but let's talk about this essay about the PCT, about this person who died. Um, so for those of you who are saying, wow, this PCT trail, that sounds familiar. Why do I know about this trail? You might know a little book called Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Um, which was her hiking the majority of the PCT trail, or at least the part that's from California to Washington. She didn't go through, um, she'd go through Oregon. And she actually picks up the PCT after Idlewild. Like she, if I remember correctly. No, she did start in the desert. She started. But she started after the mountains. After, really? Yeah, I think she started okay. on the part of the PCT that goes up by the 210 freeway. If, she cheated. Just say it. Yeah, she, she didn't, didn't really she do did, it. She did do the, the real thing. <laughs> she, Actually, she did only do the California part. Or did she go all the way up through... I can't remember. I, I read the book, but it's... Yeah, she didn't, she didn't do the whole... She picked up the PCT somewhere, but I don't think it was in Idaho. I don't remember and now. Julia, your sister did it, right? My sister has done pieces of it. She did not do the whole thing. But, yeah, she hiked for a bit. And, what and was she her, loved it. What was her book called? Her book was called... <laughs> I'm an outdoorsy person. I don't need to write a book to validate my experience. Wow. Like my sister. Wow. No, it's a criticism to me. Oh. She doesn't have the same processing problem that writers have where you have to write something to have really live. She was like, Yikes. I did it. Yeah. Get out of my head. Jesus. Oh my God. Wow. That was a little too close to home. I'm really Fuck. salty today. Sorry. Jesus. Um, it's a shock. Yeah. No, she just moved on to hiking volcanoes and stuff like that. But oh. yeah, she loved it. That's crazy. Um, so the PCT runs like a spine from Mexico all the way up through uh, Washington State. And um, one young man began a 2,600-mile hike um, and ended up not making it, um, dying about 30 minutes from, where the, from my home. And about five minutes from where <laughs> Ryder vacationed about a week ago. Yeah. Um, so, it, so this is the thing that I think is interesting about this piece. Um, it's a tragedy, of course. This young man, um, Trevor, 22-year-old from Fort Worth, Texas, um, slips and falls on the PCT and dies. And, and that's basically it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But what I found fascinating about this is that it's a it's a... Tragedy has levels, right? Um, and for this, the tragedy becomes real because you get to know him and his family and friends. And so therefore his death is powerful and, and, and very, very sad. But he's one of many, many people who die every single day. What I like about this essay is that it makes this life matter. And it makes his death matter. And it, it really dives into what it's like to be one of these people who also saves people's lives up there part of the emergency crews and and all of that um and so i was very moved by this and of course because it's nearby um you know i could as i was reading it i could look up at the mountain and you know imagine this poor kid there um and so i thought it was also good because it takes place just you know not long ago it was at the beginning of the pandemic when he made this choice to to hike the trail um and then and then meet his demise um what did you guys think of it depressing um you know i love disaster writing i've read 
Probably every book by John Krakauer. <laughs> I always like flip into the worst possible story in Outside Magazine as we did an episode on. Yeah. And I just feel like, yeah, this was the details were really, really interesting. But I, it's hard for me to get through like, what's like why what's the the deeper story other than this kid fell into a ravine you know like what does it say about the trail or the place or the family it's just it was so like so dead on the whole style of this magazine um is so close to pure journalism Mm -hmm. with very Mm -hmm. little analysis um that i was just depressed that (laughs) That's my reaction. And I, I again, I said I'm salty today. So it's not a criticism. It was just, it didn't make me walk away from the piece and think differently about my life or my choices other than like, hmm, probably not going to hike that one personally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know Uh, what I mean? But uh, so the thing that I took as a larger meaning is here in this period of profound risk, Mm -hmm. he took a bigger risk. Yeah. And paid the price, you know? And I think that there's some... I don't know what that means. Um, but I was like, he, here he is in the middle of a pandemic deciding, I'm going to go hike this trail. He slips and falls, and they have to go find his body and all that stuff. And it is clinically written, for sure. Um, but I was like, why did he... Why did... Of all times, why did he do this now? Like, when we're all trying to be safer, that's when he took the biggest risk of them all. Um yeah. And so for me, I'm like, I, I agree. Like I was looking for something larger and I, I guess maybe it's only you find that in yourself and not in the article itself. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes sense that it's, it's just dark. It's so dark to read about a parent losing. There's a lot yeah. of a parent about his dad. Um, and I feel like the answer is, to your question is he did it because it was a dream like a big dream and we all have these big dreams in one version of another some people want to go to mars not me some people want to disneyland pct disneyland um and i think we forget how risky nature really is Mm. you know like only a few people have ever died on this trail so that seems like oh what are the chances right um, and for me, that's where the meaning is. It's like something that can feel like a pure dream can really just get you. And you know what is great about this piece is it is almost as it's as random as life. You know, right. like there's exactly. not some greater meaning. You just trip and fall into a ravine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, terrifying. actually, I mean, that's that was my takeaway. This that the, the fact that you kept waiting you kept waiting for like a sort of reason, right? Like a, Mm -hmm. a risk that the guy took or some choice that he made, or he met up with the wrong people and, you know, and it just doesn't, or maybe he didn't like have the right emergency gear or communicate enough of his plan. And none of that turns (laughs) out to be true. It's like you did everything right and you still died. And oddly that kind of made me like the PC more because i was like yeah, you started rooting for the trail you know, I, 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 i've always wanted to hike it i want to someday yeah because i mean like you know the point uh you guys are breaking up i gotta i can't you keep pausing we got you um, keep going 
You can hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I, uh, if anything, I was inspired by the danger and, and the sort of neutrality of the danger that it's like, yeah, that's just nature and there is no moral to the story. It's just when you take on a hike like this, you're gonna, you could be eaten by a bear. You could fall off a cliff. It doesn't, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I just think that that's like, to me, that was kind of in, like, I mean, it was depressing and not like really awful for this person, but it was also like, wow, it's still, it's still out there. <laughs> like it's right. still dangerous. <laughs> that still happens. It's not Disneyland, you know, like just because Cheryl Strayed wrote a book and mm-hmm. now, you know, the, the, the numbers have like what gone up 3000% right. of people hiking the trail now, like the more like you can't Disneyfy nature, you can't Disneyfy yeah. life. And like that, that's actually kind of nice. Yeah. Like to me, that's inspiring in a weird way uh but yes I, obviously in this case it was pretty tragic but it, yeah it's, it's just weird because you don't think like i don't ever think of people dying on the pc P, on the pct anymore like i just think of it as like oh it's like you know everyone has a cell phone so what's the problem and and mm-hmm. they and he died like like uh, like five minutes outside of town <laughs> like that's the I other know. thing i know it's... well that's what that's what i mean i remember i took like a wilderness survival class for some reason what was I, it was like a hunting thing or i don't know anyway they showed all these videos like safety videos and like one of the things that i kept getting dr- like drilled into us was uh most of like people getting lost in the woods are day hikers right who are unprepared and like people that die in the wilderness are usually like they just walk a hundred yards from their car and, and they can't find and, their way out and they can't find their way out yeah and and, that, and those are the people that are unprepared right like the, the hardcore backpackers are usually the ones that have the med kit that know how to filter their water that it's so like most accidents occur because people are just kind of not taking nature seriously they're not taking the you know and not in this case obviously this guy was prepared but it's just it's that's just the point, right? right? Like, otherwise, why do we do it? Like, why would you go out in the nature? In nature, otherwise, like, there's there's something to it. There, there's a point in the essay though that you're going to find this odd that I find it, found it the most heartbreaking part. So, the coroner has found um, has found the uh, Trevor's body, and the coroner's office calls the father back, and the father in the essay is saying, you know, I keep waiting for them to call me so they can rule it out and say it's not your son. But And so I'm going to quote here directly. When the coroner's office called back, the message was, I'm 90% sure this is your son. And I was like, what does that mean, 90% sure that this is your son? What's that other 10% that makes you think it's not that person's son? And it's and I was like, oh, that's that's humans trying to give this guy, trying to soften the blow. Yeah. You know? Like it yeah. it's it's the opposite of what Ryder just talked about. Like nature's fucking cruel and will take you. That's nature's fucking cruel. It took this guy's son and a human being is calling and trying to give this person the slightest modicum of hope. Right. Oh. So sad. But it's just also I I so I think a piece like this is important outside of the story itself, just for what Ryder said, like to demystify this thing that in our minds is a glamorous romantic thing, partly because of the the notion of, you know, like we're gonna we're gonna beat the the we're gonna beat nature partly because of wild, partly because of, you know, any John Krakauer book. Um when the reality is you're always one step away from falling into a fucking crevasse and that's it. Yep. That's, that's, it. that's yep. it. And yeah. um 
you know, I like this notion of, of beauty being just as dangerous as something horrible. It reminds me of Jack London. Right? Yes. To build That's a sort of like yeah. brutal, like, no, like life, life is just hard for animals and out yeah. there in the wild. <laughs> it sucks. Well, you know, it's funny because we have gotten away from that in our nature writing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Cheryl Strade's book, I, I did really enjoy it, but it's, it's not, it's more of a memoir, right? It's more yeah. of like an emotional memoir than yeah. it is about nature and an encounter with nature to the degree that like, you know, I feel like Jack London was really about like the brutality of nature and like confronting that constantly and sort of using that as a reminder. Yeah. All yeah. the scenes I remember from wild, which I really liked were other memories of hers. You know? Right. The flashbacks that she incorporates into like mm-hmm. seeing the Fox or right. whenever she has like an, a nature moment, it's always related to you know mm-hmm. her, right. her life or her past. Yeah. The other cool thing though, just about this article, um, not about the writing itself, it is accompanied by beautiful photography. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even just Amazing. you know pictures of just like a cafe or whatever are rendered really well. But I like the, this picture of the rescue team, these two dudes who, um, the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. And you look at them and you're like, those are the guys I want to f- have find me. Like I want to be <laughs> stuck in a crevasse somewhere and have that dude rappel down and say, it's all right. I'm with the Mountain Rescue. <laughs> like, that's what All I right. want. <laughs> Let's talk about when the mafia came to Lodi. Yes. Which is just about the most Todd Goldbergian oh. article yeah, I've I ever know. read. Greatest article ever written. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What a crazy story. I yeah. like this one. This it one's amazing. So good. So basically, the mob tried to create a money laundering scheme by buying up car dealerships in the middle of California because they had money in Canada that they had to offload yeah. like $40 million they had to launder. And, um, so this crime family, uh, chose the wrong car dealer <laughs> to ask for their, to be part of their scheme because yeah. he turned to the FBI and became an undercover informant. It's basically Donnie Brasco <laughs> in California. It's, it's I can't believe this isn't a movie. I know. This is like, uh, it, it's amazing. Yeah, so this I can't guy, believe I haven't adapted it yet. Yeah, why haven't <laughs> I might. This, this, this car dealer, um, Peters is his name. That's yeah. his last name. What's his first name? Uh, is it I keep referring Don to him as Peters. or something like that? Uh, so this guy, Peters, Mr. Peters, I'll just call him because I can't find But he... Um, he was basically just a a boy scout like just the best like he the second he got a whiff of the the mafia coming into his town he took every step possible to uh take them down and and yeah to the Lou point Peters he dissolved his, his own marriage to yeah. yes it's crazy <laughs> he's separated from his wife to protect them him his wife and his daughters from from the mafia so he could stay undercover and he pretended to divorce his wife uh, and recorded these mob bosses for the fbi and and it actually went to trial and yeah I mean, sadly, the guy only spent a year in prison, but at least, you know, but he, he just, justice was served. Yeah, he essentially capacity. brought down the Bonanno crime family for the same reason that mobsters always go down, which is not for the crimes that they've done, but for obstruction of justice or not paying their yeah. taxes or something. Right. Um, but the cool thing about the guy who owned the car dealership, Lou Peters, um, and the, it's a great sort of throwaway line in the article, is that he had been a Marine and he'd fought in Korea 
And there's a line in the article where it just says, you know, Peters had fought in Korea where he learned he had the capacity to kill a man. And I was like, yes. I am in. <laughs> I well, again, I thought you were going to reference one and like, they just picked the wrong fucking guy because it happened to be one of his lifelong ambitions. To be an FBI agent. It's like, so ooh, awesome. my dream comes true. Yeah. I get to go undercover immediately. And, yeah. Uh, it's, and then he's also just, I just love that he's this great car dealer, like great talker, yeah. you know, and he's this great sort of classic. So he really ingratiates himself, you know, through his charm and manipulation. He's able to basically become a member of this crime family. <laughs> uh, and it's all bullshit. Yeah. Like he's completely lying to them and living this double life. It's, I mean, it's like breaking bad ish. And some. it's so good. It's an, it's an absolutely amazing story. And, like basically he uses all of his skills that he uses as a car dealer like yeah. to sell cars to sell himself to the mob right to take him down right and it's like oh it's so good and what a like now, so this is why it should be a movie like what a juicy role that is for this right. guy yeah. but also i mean as as you said right the guy dissolved his marriage for 3 years to do this it's crazy yeah. with his yeah. with his adult children Oh God, it's nuts! And what does he get out of it, really? I mean, nothing. Like, if he if he had just he gets, I mean, he gets like a medal, mark. right? Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I mean, if he had just gone with the the crime family, he probably would have been a multi multi millionaire within the same amount of time. Yeah. So it's really admirable. It's like a story of you know somebody doing right. Yeah. Uh, in the best possible way. Oh, I I would love to see this movie. Yeah, so, write it, somebody. <laughs> and a good story of personal ethics. He was like, "How dare they think that they can muscle their way into my Cadillac dealership? I'll show yeah. them." I mean, I also like the idea that he was like, "I don't want this to happen to my town." Yeah, you know, yeah. are we also yeah. loyal to our towns? No, you know, <laughs> it's not just his dealership; it's his community. He's, yeah, he's like, "This ends here." This ends here with my dealership. Uh, this ends here <laughs> at this Cadillac dealership in Lodi. Now, most yeah. of you don't have any concept of Lodi except for maybe the song Lodi, and that's about all you need to know. <laughs> it's a, a it's a shitty little town in Central California. Uh, I, the population's got to be like forty five thousand, right, Ryder? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't be. It's the kind of place where the 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 best thing that ever happened to it was a minor league baseball team showed up, where they built a prison. Oh, God, that's a good line. Why did I waste that on our podcast? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's Interstate 5, which is just this, like, you know, horrifically boring highway that just runs up the middle of California. Lodi is just one of those towns off yeah. of it, you know, in the Central Valley where it's where it's hot. There's, there's lots of farmland. Um like industrial farmland yeah. and and then just these these little towns and cities um yeah, where people People kind of get stuck. Where people grow garlic, basically. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not far from Gilroy. It's the kind of place where Devin Nunez is your congressman. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. What what right, did you let's think? Talk about the... Oh, I was oh. I was gonna ask you a question, Julia. I'm <laughs> ready. Uh, as a person who is not a purveyor of organized crime literature, <laughs> what was your your takeaway as just the the story itself? Yeah, I thought it was fun. But again, I'm just so salty today. You're welcome, Nick. Like, this is a slight variation on a story 
we've all seen and read. Like, we've talked about this with crime literature. It's cool, but being undercover, double-crossing the mob. I feel like every single thing I've read and watched lately has the mob come into it in some way or the other. So I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's got to stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's it was good. Like, the, it's the details. It's the details for me. You yeah. Know? And then um, it's and that's not a, a New York or Chicago mob story. It's small town California where New Yorkers have settled because essentially they've been driven out of New York by the government. And so the head guy's living in Tucson and his fucked up kids are living in Central California. <laughs> it's a, it's a yeah, weird story. It was making me think we shouldn't go too far down this rabbit hole, Todd, but that art heist documentary we've oh watched that, that everyone's probably watched because it's on Netflix. Oh, God, I love um, that. But I, again, I was like, I'm watching something about art. Oh, nope, wait, this is about the mob. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch that, writer? No. It's a oh, it's a good documentary. There's a museum in Boston that had amazing artwork stolen. I forget what year it was, but they still haven't found them. Yeah, like 1992 or something like that. Yeah. So uh, all these Rembrandts and stuff and definitely the mob. Yeah. Because uh. <laughs> the mob uses art as essentially as currency to get out of yeah. prison sentences. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what do you do with that kind of art though because you can't sell it right, right. Like, that's know, right it, you got it you got to watch it yeah. right are okay. you just doing right. the first 10 minutes by yourself yeah. <laughs> you just did episode one <laughs> <laughs> um but i i think you know who denies that anything undercover is fun like oh, it's, it's so just exciting fun. it's always the tension is just there it's right. just so palpable yeah. and you have a tape recorder and and bunch of murderous people surrounding you it's like oh god yeah and so he's good. like this has this benefits by being nonfiction because like the happy ending that he just gets cancer and collapses, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm happy for you. You did it. <laughs> you know, yeah, lived, lived a good as life. opposed mm. to the other story. Like this is a dream that really worked out in the weirdest way. Yeah. Like he, um, his happy ending. Is I can't he believe he didn't mom. get killed. I know. I can't <laughs> believe he didn't get killed. That's my major reaction. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting killed, Julia, why don't you introduce okay, the third sure. story? All right, so this is another another story, a nonfiction piece about a family trying to solve a cold case by themselves. Um, what was her, was it her grandfather yes, that died? Her yeah, her grandfather was killed in a double murder, um, never solved. And we watched this woman kind of walk through the process of trying to figure out uh, the double murder and there's some good details and I'm sure we'll get into it in a second, but they don't solve it. So that is a very interesting. Yeah. Um, and you kind of know here. that up front. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be solved, but still yeah. such a fascinating read. Oh my God. Yeah. So what'd you guys think of this one? Uh, I was fascinated by it and I'm always interested in someone taking on the mystery of a person they never knew. So mm-hmm. she never knew her grandfather, really. Um, and she's the woman is now 79 years old or something like that that's been trying to solve it. Um, and as we've talked about before on, on the show, any sort of private detective or amateur detective story is about a failure of police work. Mm-hmm. Where somehow law enforcement has failed these people and you have to take the law into your own hands. And... 
she does it. You know, she, she this is a woman who makes a FOIA request from the FBI and gets like what eleven hundred pages of documents or something <laughs> because her grandfather had been murdered on uh, in a national park, so the FBI was the person investigating it. And it's a very strange and grisly double murder for no good reason. Um, you know, people that weren't involved in crime got killed. And so it's heartbreaking and, you know, at the same time, dissatisfying for how this could have ever possibly not been solved when it happened. Um, you're in a closed place. There's, there's got to be a way to solve this crime. The details are also really striking. Um you know, it was it, the murders took place in a, a national park in Crater Lake. Um, so it seems like it seems like they should know who's going in and out of the park. But right. They didn't know. There's there's a guy with a missing finger. Right. Suspect. The, the, so it shows the up at a lecture murdered, thirty years later. Their shoes were taken off. Their shoes were taken off, and cloths was stuffed in their their mouth. It did. They didn't really have that much money, so it doesn't seem like it was just a robbery. It is a really like it's just it. It felt like it actually reminded me of. Uh, did you guys ever read? Was it the Colorado Kid by Stephen King? It's no. like a, it's like this bizarre book. I remember. I think it actually. He ended up connecting it to some other books. Like I think he ended up connecting it to the Dark Tower series in some way. Mm. But the way the book was presented, it's like a novella, and it was presented just the way this article is. Like the 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 crime is not going to be solved. Mm-hmm. Like you are not going to get the answer. But you still, when you're when you're reading it, you still are like, well, maybe we can figure it out. Maybe these pieces, you know. And I'm gonna just by gathering the facts. I'm gonna and just by reading this. I'm gonna be able to put this together. And I found myself doing that you know well it can't it's probably this guy it can't be that guy well it makes more sense and it's like it, it's just a really it's an intriguing reading process right like to to just to be a detective right, right. To, like, to, or to be over the shoulder of a detective it's it, there's something so satisfying about that even when you're not going to get satisfied right. like and, and i think that that goes to show that that you almost don't need the answer. Like, because I imagine if you ask me two years from now about this case, I'll remember the details, yeah. mm-hmm. but I won't remember that it was left unsolved. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the actual reading experience is just so striking and so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is, this is nonfiction. So I feel kind of bad, uh, you know, making it about the reading, uh, the, the enjoyability of the reading experience. But it's true, right? Like that's why we're intrigued. Right. It's this this desire to like solve something or figure something out or get some answers, um, and yet we don't even really need the answers most of the time, right? The- yeah, because what is it? I mean, it's just like it's like making sense of the world, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's like basically the narrative process in the world because like we all like we all have stories in our head, and when something tragic happens, when somebody dies, especially when somebody is murdered. It's like, well, there has to be a reason. Right. There has mm-hmm. to be a, a beginning and an end to this. And so we desire it so much. And then, like, the truth is, like, the world is so big and there's so many people that the chances of being able to solve something are pretty slim. You know, like, it's actually pretty hard. Well, that's sort um, of what all three of these things have in common, right? Like, chaos causes some bad shit to happen. The, right. the kid hiking the PCT slips and falls and dies. Whose fault is it? Nature. You right. know, there's you're never going to solve for X for that one, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. In the murder in, in Crater Lake, someone is responsible, but it's nothing these two people probably did to get put in this place. It's just 
wrong place at the wrong time. And then the mob story, mobster picked the wrong fucking caddy dealership, you know? <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> <laughs> the detail that I loved in, uh, in this one is just a small thing, which is, you know, it's a little bit of police work that they did in the 1950s when this happened, which is he touches the radiator and the car is still hot. So mm-hmm. he knows that the people have only been out of the car and being murdered like mm-hmm. within minutes. And you're like, oh, my God, they just missed each other. You know, yeah. it, it, like these people could have been saved if someone had arrived five minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. I love that stuff. And I love just like that weird sort of cop stuff where you would think to go touch the car to see if it was still warm. Mm-hmm. I presume it's the kind of thing I would do in a similar situation, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I would have no idea how to be a cop. I would yeah. be like, "Don't shouldn't we be wearing gloves? Like, what do we, who, what do we touch? Who do you, aren't we dusting for fingerprints? Is that still a thing? Like, I don't know. What do they do? It's mind boggling to me. That's why you got to go to that uh, that conference cop I go school. to, the yes. Writers Police Academy, where you learn this stuff, I would learn the to. questions to ask. Um, but the other thing about this is just the. Um, the need to tie up a loose end of someone else's life in your genetic code. That to me is the fascinating thing always about cold cases where a family member has to go in and try to solve things. It's like, it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't really matter. The person is dead, but it matters to that person because it's a a branch on their tree. Literary Discos, produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. 